0: Hello, and welcome to the Truth Is Loud podcast. This will be the start of season two of the Truth Is Loud podcast. Last year was kind of a testing of what this was going to look like. And so moving forward with the podcast. One of the things we're going to try to do this year is be more consistent in releasing these on a regular basis. Ryder and Matt will be on as much as they are able. But one of the things that we did learn last year was that trying to get three people to meet on a consistent basis in three different time zones who are all also students and have families and ministry uh, can be very difficult. So going forward, uh, Ryder and Matt will be on as much as possible. We will also still try to have guests this year. Uh, last year, we had C.R. Wiley as one of our guests. C.R. Wiley came on to talk about manhood and uh, his book, Man of the House. He also has another book called The Household and the War for the Cosmos. Those are great books. definitely recommend checking out that podcast and reading those books. He also has a podcast, uh, C.R. Wiley, also has a podcast called The Theology Pugcast, and you can check that out on iTunes. We had Ambrose Thompson, a PhD student, come on and we talked about the law and the function of the law within the Old Testament and today. Those are some good conversations there. And then at the end of last year, we had John Harris, who is the host of Conversations That Matter. And he has a book on social justice that... Uh, recently came out that really kind of surveys social justice within the church over the latter half of the 20th century into the 21st century. Um, And so definitely check those out. We hope to have more guests on uh, this year as well. Uh, Moving forward as a podcast, we still plan on providing some cultural commentary and theological discussions. And so that's what we're going to be doing when, uh, when it, Even when it's just me, unfortunately, the only thing you get when it's just me is my perspective on things and my voice, but that's all we can do. What I wanted to do for today, for our first episode, is I wanted to take some time to discuss a few different things. Uh, the, the first thing I want to discuss is on social media, especially Facebook, since that's really the only social media I consistently use. Why do I post things the way I do? I want to then talk a little bit about righteousness and discernment. And then I want to end with discussing things uh, things like abortion with non-believers. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and get started. First, why do I post things the way that I do? Now, I bring this up because... I have been confronted before on the kind of posts that I do on social media, like Facebook. It's happened quite a few times, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to discuss this. First of all, one of the things that is very important for me in my life, and to communicate to others, is the importance of the Lordship of Christ over all all things. There is nothing in this universe that I do not believe is under the Lordship of Christ. Now, that that really shouldn't be too difficult for Christians. The difficult part comes in when you actually have to work that out in different areas of day-to-day life. So, when I say that I see the Lordship of Christ over everything, it doesn't mean that I believe God is sovereign over everything and therefore uh, I can just kind of ignore his lordship in certain areas. Now, I I, want to be careful because I I don't want to straw man anybody else's view. Obviously, sovereignty is a very important thing, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God is sovereign in who gets elected as president. I believe God is sovereign over the sparrow that falls from the air. So therefore, I also believe God is sovereign over things like education in this country, politics, media, censorship, abortion, racism. So I I do believe that God is sovereign over these things. But when I talk about Christ's lordship over these things, what I mean is that we as Christians should be living our life seeking to submit all of these areas to the lordship of Christ by walking in them with the mind of Christ. And so here's what I mean. I don't separate education, church, politics, family, media, evangelism, racism, abortion, friendship, marriage, any of these things, I don't have little compartments in my life for any of these things because I don't see discontinuity in them. For me, in my view of lordship, there is a sense where they are all interconnected. And so therefore, when I approach something like education and I post on Facebook about uh, my view of education, In the United States, and I say that public education is godless and it is actively seeking to indoctrinate your children to hate God and to live in rebellion against Him. Well, I actually mean that because I believe that education is not a neutral activity. Education is something that we as Christians need to submit to the Lordship of Christ, and therefore we have a responsibility to educate our children and educate our Churches in a way that glorifies the Lord. I feel the same way with church, obviously. That's probably the easiest place. I also feel the same way with politics. Um, I feel the same way with family. I do not believe that it is the responsibility of the pastor or youth pastor or teacher to raise my children. I have the responsibility of a father, and my wife has the responsibility as a mother, we together have the responsibility before God to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We have to train them in what is righteous. We have to steer them in the direction they should go. We have to discipline them. We have to love them. We have to spend time with them. And that is not just in spiritual matters, but also in areas that don't seem uh, immediately spiritual, but actually are. So when we talk about science, math, English, language, right, those areas, okay, are not meant to be separated from pointing our kids back to the Word of God and to the Lordship of Christ. Because Christ is Lord over biology and chemistry and physics. And Christ is Lord over algebra and calculus. And Christ is Lord over grammar and the English language and literature from history. He's Lord of all those things. And so therefore, when we teach our kids these things, we should not be sending them to be taught by those who hate God and train our children to not see these areas like education, math, science, all these things as neutral ground, because that's not how they're actually being trained. What they're being trained instead is that math is anti-God and science is anti-God. And you say, well, that sounds, Tyler, that sounds like fundamentalism. Are you afraid of science? No. No, I'm not afraid of science. I think that science is great. I think we should be learning science. But I think that the only way to truly learn science is science that is not devoid of God, but directs us to the Lord of life. So, when it comes to these areas, and I know I just mainly used education there, but I also post about things like abortion and all these areas. It's because I don't separate these things from the lordship of Christ, and I see an immediate need for the church to be publicly addressing these things. So something like politics, let's say. Politics, I, I've, I've had this before, like, well, you post a lot of political things. Well, of course I post a lot of political things, but they're not merely political things. Political things are important for Christians to talk about. Politics, uh, it's an important area of life, Especially for us here in the United States, because this is the context that I'm in. The you know, Ryder is in Canada; he's got politics to deal with up there. But right now, it's just me. Right, we're in the United States. Politics are very important for loving my neighbor and loving the law of God. So I don't want policies that go against what the Word of God says. It's not a matter of Democrat and Republican. It's not a matter of um, fitting into one certain specific category of political thought. But it is understanding that there are imperfect but better political policies that fall more in line with what the Word of God says than others. And so... Uh, when you, when we as a church neglect that, and we misunderstand or misinterpret or, unfortunately, even ignore what the law of God says about things like justice and how society is meant to function under the lordship of Christ, then what we will have are evil and wicked politicians that, quite frankly, the church deserves. And I think one of the reasons we are dealing with the kind of politicians that we are dealing with today is because the church has opted out of being a better, more biblically consistent political influence. And the proof of that is in the amount of evangelicals that voted for this current Biden Harris, wicked administration. There's no way around that. There's no beating around the bush in the fact that Biden and Harris is, it's a wicked administration. Even, even their supposed charity and love for the people, it's a farce. And it also goes against the word of God in many ways. Um, so, That's why, you know, I post the way I do. Um, I also want to say to this those I don't speak the same way in every context, and I don't have to and quite frankly I shouldn't. The way that I have a one-on-one conversation with somebody or even a small group conversation is going to look relatively different than the way that I post things online and one of the reasons for that is because of the platform, right? Facebook is a platform where you are reaching a large number of people. Behind the pulpit, if you preach, you recognize that the way you preach is going to be different, or at least it should be, than the way that you would teach in a classroom setting, which should be different than the way that you would disciple in a one-on-one setting. Why? Because each of them have different platforms and different purposes. Media is no different. It's a platform. It's a way to be a herald and an ambassador for Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean that I have to speak in the exact same way that I would in a one-on-one conversation. And instead, that this platform can be used to relay information to a large number of people and can be done in a way that at times can be meant to be funny or meant to kind of poke the bear and push buttons on things. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and really, you know, what, what it boils down to essentially is that I think it's really time for Christians to start stepping up and confronting the culture with the gospel. You know, we're told in Ephesians 5 to expose evil, and I don't think a lot of Christians are really comfortable doing that. And and I have some theories behind why that is. Uh, I think one of the issues is a serious fear of man problem, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I wanted to read a quote from Augustine from his book City of God. He says that these Christians are not so afraid of the wicked as to yield to their villainous threats to the extent of committing crimes like theirs. Right. So we have Christians that are not so afraid of the wicked world that they're just going to Uh, yield to their villainous threats, and start committing the same kind of crimes as the villainous world, right? The same kind of sins as theirs. But though they do not commit them, they too often fail to reprehend them, right? Like I said, we need to call out evil in the culture. But there are those Christians, and it's, it's very common today in evangelicalism, That even though I'm not going to participate in the wicked acts, right, I'm not going to participate in the pride parade, but I'm also not going to reprehend it either. So, though they do not commit them, they too often fail to reprehend them, for for although they might perhaps convert some by such rebuke, they fear that if the attempt failed, their safety and reputation might be endangered or destroyed." Now, come on. Come on. Think about that for a second. How long ago was this written? And how, how current is this now? Right? They failed to reprehend what is evil. Why? Even though they might perhaps convert some by such rebuke, right? So there is a possibility that in reprehending evil in the culture, you could perhaps convert some by rebuking it. But instead, they fear that if they rebuke it, right, if they rebuke this evil, and that attempt fails to convert them, then the problem is now that they fail to convert them, their safety and reputation might be in danger of being destroyed. And this is not, Augustine said, this is not due to prudence nor is it because they see their reputation and safety as essential means whereby mankind may receive the benefit of instruction. It is rather due to weakness because they delight in flattery and popularity and because they dread the judgment of the mob and the torture or death of the body. In fact, they are constrained by self-interest not by the obligations of charity. So in reality, Christians who refuse to call out evil in the culture, to, who, who fail to be that salt and that light, which includes, it has to include, this sort of conversations where you're going to have to rebuke sin in the life of unbelievers, and the culture, Christians are not doing that because they are constrained by self-interest, not by the obligations of charity. So those who refuse to call out evil are not refusing to do it because of this immense love and charity that they have for people. They really aren't doing it because they fear man, and they're looking out for their own self-interest. And this is what I meant by we have a fear of man problem in the church. We are more concerned about looking like good Christians than actually being good Christians. Think about that for a second. We are more concerned about the world looking at us and saying, man, they look like good Christians, as opposed to being good Christians which we know, when we are being good Christians, will actually bring in persecution and hatred from the world. Why? Because they hated Christ first. So, what we need to remember in stepping up and confronting the culture with the gospel, okay, so we're not just confronting the culture because... You know, we we want to just create some behavior modification in the culture. We are confronting the culture with the gospel. We need to remember that we are in battle. Christian, you are in battle. And it is a spiritual battle, but it is still a battle. And this spiritual battle, you know, it reminds me of Ephesians 6 on this spiritual battle is that, yes, of course, we are battling the principalities and and demonic forces, but it's it's not just like this individual battle. You're not just battling the demonic forces that are attacking you personally. It's more of a corporate battle. So it's not just like we're battling demon-possessed people. Right? Or, or you know the trickery of Satan, but we're actually battling the culture and the ideologies of a culture that is ruled by its father, the devil. And so we have to remember that you have to be part of the battle. Will you enter into the battle as a Christian? You're called to. Paul says that, that we need to be strong in the Lord in order to do this. He talks about putting on the full armor of God, right? You're putting on this full armor of God because you're entering into battle. You're not battling against flesh and blood. I don't hate the person, but I do hate their ideas that are rebellious against God. And that's okay because we are called to hate the things that God hates and to love the things that God loves. Well, the most loving thing I can do for my enemy in the battle is to hate the side that he's on and bring him the gospel. But that means that you have to enter this battle. You have to get your hands dirty, right? Right? Now, you don't have to do things the way I do it. I've never said that you have to go on Facebook and post things the way I do. I've also never said that you have to go to the Planned Parenthood or abortion clinic um, and do it the way I do it there. I never said that you have to go out and street preach or anything like that. Do what God has called you to do. And if you are confident that you already are, then praise God and scroll past my post. You know, I'm I'm always willing to have a conversation about these things, but even in that, like I I will never tell you, well, this is the way that you have to do it, and I, I I won't even do that with something like abortion. The best way to fight abortion is not the way I'm doing it. The best way to fight abortion is to be upfront and vocal wherever God has put you and doing it in the lives of those that God has put around you. Going to Planned Parenthood is very important, but we have to recognize that we're not out there protesting We're out there evangelizing as a last effort before a child is murdered. But this is not the best way to battle abortion. The best way to battle abortion is to be, well, first of all, I will say this. The best way to be battling abortion is for parents of the Lord in the Lord to be training their own children and not sending them off to be trained by others, but training them in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Discipling our kids is the most important way that we can battle abortion currently in our families. Then we have to battle it within the church by training those in the church that abortion is not an option and that it is murder. Then from there, we need the church to be going out publicly to the masses and proclaiming the gospel and confronting the culture and battling that culture. And then, of course, offering help and options to those women who find themselves pregnant in an unwanted pregnancy and are contemplating abortion. That's what it means in some sense in our current day to be taking care of the widow and the orphan. But you're not going to be doing that unless you are a voice for the voiceless and saving those who are going to be led to slaughter. And that's what's happening with abortion. Um, And by the way, Politics is not separate from that, like I said, because our current regime is radical in the area of abortion. So again, I see these things as all connected. That's why I post the way I do. Now, this leads to uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was discernment in the Christian life. And it's really related to what I just talked about with posts. And that is, there does seem to be a huge lack of discernment in the evangelical culture. I posted this recently. I said, I praise the Lord for passages like Hebrews five twelve through 14, and 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, that so clearly show how to properly discern good from evil, as well as what impedes that discernment. In a day where so many Christians are deceived, it makes you wonder what they are reading, who they are listening to, and most of all, what they are practicing. Let us practice the word of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the whole counsel of God, lest we too lose our discernment. I wanted to go to a couple passages about that. This this lack of discernment in the church on the one hand, I think comes from a fear of the truth of God's word. In order to look at that, I wanted to read from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. It says, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as Yahweh my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great generation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Yahweh, our God, whenever we call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. Right? There's that family idea again. But this is what I mean by um, this come, this fear of the truth of God's word. I don't think most Christians think they have a fear of God's word. I think that most Christians don't realize that they have a fear of God's word, especially, especially when it comes to the law of God and his statutes and his judgment. Unless, I should say, unless it's something that the world might already be applauding, like something like taking care of the sojourner, right? Taking care of the alien. Well, we live in a society that applauds taking care of the alien, even if it uh, diverges from the context of what God is talking about in uh, the Old Testament law when it talks about the sojourner. But regardless, It doesn't seem to be a problem for Christians to go to the law in those cases and say, hey, this is good. This is what the word of God tells us. This is what God says in his law about how to take care of of the immigrant. But then when it comes to other areas of God's law, if it becomes a bit squeamish, then Christians really kind of want to take a few steps back and say, well, I don't know really how that one applies today. You know, this idea of, in numbers, this idea of a woman taking an oath to God and her father being able to say no to that oath and the daughter having to honor that instead of the oath that she made to God. Now, we look at that and say, ooh, you know, I mean, when it comes to women's rights, does a dad really have a right to do that? Now naturally that that's a probably a good discussion to have. but I can tell you this, even having to bring up that scripture, I recognize that if we don't know how to go about uh, dissecting the Word of God and understanding how something like that can apply today, then we look at a passage like that and we get a bit squeamish because it sounds harsh. And how dare a father or in the context of the passage right after or a husband tell a woman that if she takes an oath to God, that he has the authority to say no to that oath and she has to abide by that. But it is in the word of God we have to deal with it back to the passage that I began with it. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as Yahweh my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So God has given statutes. God has given judgments. And Israel is told that they need to do this in the land where they are entering in order to continue to possess it, right? In order to hold this land. Then he says, So keep and do them. Okay. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So there is a sense where when we hold to the law of God, and this isn't, if you want to know more about my view of the law of God, there's uh, old episodes from last season where I discussed that more. But I do not believe that we uphold the law for our own righteousness or salvation, obviously, because Paul is against that. But I do believe that we are supposed to look to the law of God to understand justice, to understand wisdom, to be able to discern good from evil, things that God considers an abomination versus things that God considers just and right and holy. But this passage says, you need to keep them, you need to do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation, this great nation is wise and understanding. So, we don't need to fear the law of God, we need to embrace law of God. We need to embrace the word of God and what it says because it is our wisdom. And actually by holding the word of God tightly and by submitting ourselves to the word of God, it is a form of proclaiming the kingdom of Christ. It is a form of proclaiming the righteousness of God and we can expect that people will look at us as Christians who are holding on to this, and even though they may hate it, there is a sense of wisdom and understanding that we have as those who belong to Christ and have the mind of Christ and can understand and discern the Word of God. And as we practice the Word of God, we are able to discern good from evil. And so he says, For what great nation is there... That has a God so near to it as the Lord, our God, whenever we call on him, right? None. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I am setting before you today? None. No nation, even back then, or I mean, I should say back then, even now, right? No nation has statutes and judgments, as righteous as the whole law which was set before them that day. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Now, let's take that and look at these two passages that I listed earlier In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men so they are these the Corinthians are incapable to receive the solid food that Paul wants to give them because they are still of the flesh so they're they're on milk they're not on solid food they're not ready for solid food because they're still walking as mere men they're still living according to the flesh And then he says, specifically, these things like jealousy and strife are still among you. And if they're still among you, are you not walking according to the flesh? And the answer is yes. So they're not ready for solid food yet. Okay, well, let's look at Hebrews 5 now and get a little bit more clarity on what that means. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. All right, think about that, okay? Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Well, what did Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 say about them being infants and having milk? It's because they're still of the flesh. So if you're still walking according to the flesh, you are not ready for solid food. And the reason you are not ready for this solid food is because you have not become accustomed to the word of righteousness solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, practicing what? Practicing the word of righteousness, right? Those who have practiced the word of righteousness have their senses trained to discern good from evil. So the reason why there's such a lack of discernment within the church today One is that there is a fear of God's word. It is a fear to proclaim the truth and justice of God's word that we can find. uh, And I would say really this is found in the whole counsel of God. We like to shy away from the difficult passages or the boring passages that don't seem to have the immediate application. And we like to instead focus on the easier passages, the passages that we think are going to be more uh, pragmatic in bringing people to the Lordship of Christ. And we have to remember that it's when we practice the whole counsel of God, when we practice it the right way, right, from a heart of love, obedience from love and faith, then as we practice that, we don't need to be afraid of God's word because that will actually be a proclamation of the wisdom and understanding and justice of God to the nations. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that we lack that practicing of the word of righteousness. And that's what the issue is with with Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, with the Corinthians who walk according to the flesh, they have this lack of maturity because they're walking according to the flesh. And this lack of maturity, as the author of Hebrew says, um, is really because they have not trained their senses to discern good and evil. Or I should say they have not practiced to have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And this practice is the practicing of the word of righteousness. So let me say this. What this looks like on the ground is that if you are a Christian, one, you need to have the courage to not be afraid of the whole counsel of the Word of God. You need to invest your time and your life into studying and um, with, with devotion and love and praise Genesis to Revelation. You need to read the whole thing. You need to study it. You need to take it in. You need to see the way that God worked with Israel, the way that God works in the New Testament. And you need to not be afraid of the fact that there are things in Scripture that are tough to bring up in a modern world that consistently has moved further and further away from the righteousness of God. Okay, so we need to stop being afraid. And two, Christian If you have unrepentant sin in your life, if you are living in habitual unrepentant sin, then you are not practicing the word of righteousness and you will lack the discernment or you will lack the practicing and the training of your senses to discern what is good from evil. So think about that. We have a lot of Christians today that have this inability to discern what is right from what is wrong. We have a lot of Christians today who have this inability to discern, well, this is sinful and this is righteous. And sometimes I think we see our Christian friends and we go, wow, how did they get there? How, how did they get to that point in their life? Well, the Word of God tells us it's because they have not been practicing the Word of Righteousness. So their senses are not trained to discern good from evil. And so let me tell you, and, and I'm, I'm in the same boat, okay? This is, you know, I, I have sin in my life and I can tell you that when I'm living in unrepentant sin, I can see that there is a, a, there's a discernment that is lacking in my life. And I can tell you that this is the same for any of us who are living in habitual unrepentant sin that we will begin, if we have not already, we will begin to lose the ability of discerning good from evil because our senses will not be trained for it. So, if that is you, then the best thing to do right now is to go before the Lord and to cry out for him to examine your heart and to reveal to you if you have any blind spots or hidden unrepentant sin in your life that you are walking in. Are there any ways that you see in your life that you are walking according to the flesh? And I guarantee you, we all have them. I know I have them. You have them. We all have them we have to go before the lord and we're here's the thing we are already totally exposed before him right job 5 tells us this psalm 94 tells us this we are already exposed before him he who, ha- who created the eye, does he not see? He who made the ear, does he not hear? He who made knowledge, does he not know all things? And the answer is yes, he does. He sees our heart, He sees our thoughts. He sees our intentions. He knows everything about us. So we need to go before him as Christians when we need to um, offer ourselves up and say, Lord, please reveal to me the areas in my life where I'm walking according to the flesh and conform me into the image of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that I may practice the word of righteousness and discern what is good from what is evil in the culture around me, in my own life, in the life of my family, in the life of those in my church. So, That takes us to about 45 minutes and that's pretty much where I wanted this to stay so I don't really have time today to discuss abortion with the non-believer. We will do that in the future. The reason I chose abortion is because it is a really uh, interesting conversation to have with uh, the unbeliever and it is a a, a great opportunity with such a hot topic to uh, segue into the gospel. So I would just say before we close up, um, that you are called by God to go and preach the gospel and to make disciples of all nations and you are called to enter into the battle in order to do so. So Christian take courage, get in the word of God, know the word of God, love the word of God. Practice the word of God and enter into that battle and see what the Lord will do through you.